0: I have three very different questions for you. Can helping someone else improve your teen's mental health? What kind of driving are you modeling for your kids and teens? And is junior college a good option? I'm Ann Coleman, attorney turned parent educator and mom to a kid that struggled during his teen years and you're listening to Speaking of Teens, a twice-weekly science-informed podcast that helps you better understand, relate to, and parent your teen. Welcome to our weekly bonus episode. If you're tuning in for the first time today, we do two episodes a week, Tuesdays being the deep dive into a single subject, and on Fridays we take a look at a handful of interesting stories from recent news that impact you or your teen. So let's dive into the first question. Can helping someone else improve your teen's mental health? Well, according to a new study from the University of Texas Health Houston, the answer is absolutely. Kids and teens who volunteer their time to help other people tend to thrive both mentally and physically. This research showed that young volunteers were in better physical health and were more positive and upbeat, were less likely to be anxious, depressed, or have behavior problems compared to kids and teens who had never volunteered. The same thing has been proven scientifically in adults over and over. I can remember hearing this years ago, and when my mother was going through a horrible bout of depression, I urged her to get out and volunteer more. And when she did, it literally cured her depression. So I know this works. And at a time when so many of our teens are either anxious, depressed, or in danger of becoming so, what a wonderful way this would be to help society and them. And volunteering with them gives you the opportunity to connect more while you're helping others. Volunteering can give a kid or a teen a way to feel significant in the world, to feel important in a way they can't feel at school or at home. They're often doing tasks they've never done before, so it can really give them a little boost of self-confidence and self-esteem to accomplish something new like that. This is especially true when they can interact with people that they're actually helping. They can realize this isn't just something to put on a college resume. It's literally doing something that helps other human beings. That can be very eye-opening and empowering for such a young person. It's also great for kids to get out and meet new people, people in different age groups and perhaps um, even their age, but from different schools and different neighborhoods. They get to expand their ability to relate to people from all types of backgrounds and professions and socioeconomic backgrounds. It's just wonderful life experience, period volunteering can also help them explore different professions. If they think they want to be a veterinarian, maybe they could volunteer at an animal shelter. Or if they think they want to be a doctor, they could volunteer at a hospital. And if they have no clue what they want to do, that's all the more reason for them to get out there and volunteer and explore the world a bit. They may uncover a whole new world that fascinates them. And of course, besides the byproducts of good mental health and physical health, there's always the fact that they'll have it to put on resumes and college applications for years to come. I've added a link in the um, description right here where you're listening from Volunteer Match. It's a great service that matches volunteers to opportunities in their community. Check it out and see if you and your team can find an opportunity to do something together. What kind of driving are you modeling for your kids and teens? The Insurance Institute for Highway Safety, the folks who do all the major studies on driving and car crashes, it reports that according to the National Police data, over 3,300 people were killed in the U.S. in 2021 because of distracted driving. That's anything from putting on makeup to using a phone, anything that distracts the driver. But phones are, of course, much more distracting and much more demanding of our attention than anything else, right? Well, that same police data shows that only around 380 people died in crashes involving a cell phone. Wait, what? That number seems really low, doesn't it? You know why? Why? Because people don't admit to the police after having a car crash that they were watching YouTube on their phone or checking their DMs when they, you know, backed into somebody or something. So they might say, I don't know, I thought a deer ran out or I was looking down at the radio for half a second or anything, but I was on my phone. The IIHS knows that number is likely much larger in reality because it's done tons of studies over the years with thousands of drivers and has found that drivers are two to six times more likely to cause a crash when messing with their cell phone than when they are not distracted. And that risk was greatest for drivers under 30 and over 64. But researchers have been curious in the past about how parents' driving behavior might be associated with crash statistics and how their behavior might influence their kids' driving habits later on. A study was published in 2019 by three researchers with affiliations with Harvard Medical School and Brigham and Women's Hospital, and it was eye-opening. They conducted a national survey on distracted driving with 435 people, about 50-50 men and women. Roughly half were millennials, born between 1981 and 1996, and the other half were Gen Xers, born between 1965 and 1980. All of them had a car, obviously, had at least one child under 14, and had driven their child somewhere in the past 30 days. The question all were asked When you are driving and your child or children are in the car, how often do you text, read email, use social media and maps, and what's the fastest you've ever driven while doing any of those things? The higher their score, the more reckless they're driving. Again, they compared the results of the millennials to the Gen Xers, and guess what they found? Well first, they found that obviously the higher the distracted driving score was, the higher the crash rate was for those parents. And which group had the higher scores? Yep, you poor millennial. You get blamed again for things that are really your boomer parents’ fault. Millennials were more likely to read texts while driving, although there was no difference between millennials and Gen Xers for writing texts. Yet almost 60% of of all the drivers said they were safe drivers, and nearly 70% said they use their cell phone less when their kids are in the car. And interestingly, 25% of millennials had used an app or a cell phone feature aimed at reducing texting and driving, while only 17% of Gen Xers had. None of this is all that shocking, right? If you're a millennial, you grew up watching your boomer parents using their flip phones and their bag phones in the console while putting on lipstick or eating a burger and fastening your seatbelt all at one time, right? You remember. And it's likely the same for younger Gen Xers. But for older Gen Xers, there was likely none of that going on in your car growing up. Unless mom and dad worked like for Wall Street or the CIA maybe and had one of those enormous big white brick phones with an eight-foot antenna. And as a matter of fact, if you're an older Gen Xer, you may not have even known what seatbelts were until you were 10 or 12. And you likely got a cell phone before your parents did. You taught them how to use it, for God's sakes. So what happened here? The younger boomers modeled using cell phones in the car for their millennial kids. And look what's happened. As a millennial, you could be modeling even worse behavior for your kids. Look at it this way. Would you smoke weed in front of your kids? Do you get drunk in front of them? Or do you try to model behavior that will keep them safe? Then for all things holy, put your phone on driving mode when you get in the car and make sure they do the same or something equally as safe. And make it a big deal with your kids. Let them see that you're making the decision to put that phone on do not disturb or driving mode when you get in the car or turn it off or whatever you have to do. But make a stance. Let your kids see it no matter their age. Really, if they're teeny or they're 16, make a stance on this and start doing it. Is junior college a good option for your teen? Back in April, a college student, a girl named Sam Chang, posted a TikTok video of her boyfriend Ethan when they were back in high school together. She was showing him studying at the library with a big caption across the screen that said, when we were in high school, my boyfriend worked hard and still got zero acceptances, not a single wait list, 100% rejection rate. But don't worry, look at him now. Two years later, he got into UC Berkeley Haas, one of the best undergrad business programs in the U.S. She went on to say, to all high school seniors getting their college decisions, it's going to get better. You're going to be okay. Now, here's the story. Ethan, bless him, after getting beaten down by all those stupid rejections, enrolled in the local junior college for two years. He participated in campus extracurriculars, he got good grades, did some volunteer work, took an internship, and was accepted and transferred to Berkeley. The story I read noted that acceptance rates for transfers at UC Berkeley are about double those of the regular round of acceptances. I just think it's critical for kids to know and understand that getting into a dream college straight out of high school is not what will define their entire life. There are so many very selective universities where the transfer rates are double and even triple that of first-year applicants. And frankly, the amount of money you or they would save by going to a two-year college first is enough to put down on a house after they graduate with their bachelor's. And too many kids are just not ready to go off to college at 18. Their brain is not ready. They don't have the skills they need yet, life-wise or academically. Too many kids go off and begin to have a hard time mentally and things begin to skid off the rails a bit. I believe there are so many times when a gap year or a year or two of junior college could make all the difference in the world. And there are more and more kids and parents making this choice. If your kid's not ready, you'll know it and they'll probably know it too. So consider all possibilities. That's it for Speaking of Teens today. The link for the show notes is in the episode description right where you're listening, along with all of our free parenting guides. And thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. And if you got anything out of the episode, please consider sharing it with a few parents or people who work with parents or teens. The more you share, the better chance we have at landing bigger expert guests to come on in and talk to you you can join the Speaking of Teens Facebook group and get actionable advice to your specific parenting issues from me and from other parents who may have already achieved what you're struggling to achieve. The link is right there at the very bottom of the show description in your app. Speaking of Teens is sponsored by NeuroGility.com, where I help parents build stronger relationships and decrease conflict with their teens. Our producer and editor is Steve Coleman. Steve Coleman, researched, written, and hosted by me, Ann Coleman. See you next time.